encouraged, not burdened by the history that they create. They know what is expected of them. They are Manchester United. Welcome in listeners to another episode of the Buzz Buffet Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Dams, joined once again by Nathan Heinchel and Holly Questel. And um, Nathan, what's what's the vibe check right now? Oh no, we suck a game. Solid movie reference. Nathan wanted to record a podcast about um, Prey, by the way. He wanted to just make this episode a movie podcast. But um, I have a question. I have a question about the do we suck again, or do we just still suck? Remember when we had that moment in the preseason? Where it was like, okay, could be okay. Right, but remember how we kept saying it's preseason? Okay, so Nathan, did did Andreas What's Pereira? What's like the line here of when you, when <laughs> when continuous sucking ends and it starts to be suck again? Does that mean that Andreas Pereira every summer becomes a good player? And then starts to suck again once the And then sucks starts. again? I don't know. We'll have to ask Fulham uh, to see if the streak continues. But um, I, I, I like to think, so yes, technically in the continuity of things, if you're looking at it season by season, we have not stopped sucking. But I wanted to look at it like, you know, Phoenix from the Ashes, new season, new hope, um, and generally United – wins the the home opener or at least the season opener so i i always feel like we get to enjoy a high scoring first game of the season and then we get lured into a false sense of security that is taken away from us either the moment paulie starts pulling gifs after the first game or you know we play wolves like three weeks into the season and then you know the rug gets pulled out from underneath us um but as i tweeted during the uh during the game where i was already in mid-season form uh, United skipping for play and just right into the disappointment. Yeah, I mean, Colin, there was... Colin mentioned on the preview pod that, like, we always win the first game, and I was like, yeah, don't... I feel like you have to go back to, like, Louis Van Gaal and Swansea when we lost, completely <laughs> forgetting that two years ago we lost to Crystal Palace. <laughs> Patrick yeah. Van Anhold at the near post, baby. Though technically that wasn't the opening weekend. Like, technically, we won our match week one game. That just took place in January. Yeah, that's right. Streak yeah. continued. That was a little bit of a weird season. Uh, although, I will say, in both that season and the Louis van Gaal season, uh, United did end up qualifying for Champions League. So, maybe there is a little bit of the, like, winning the opening game, you know, like smashing Leeds or smashing Chelsea uh, kind of offsets the the actual mood around what the team is going to be like a month later. Look, Um, I I respect the optimism, but watching Brighton score all three goals on Saturday did not exactly have me listening to the uh, Champions League theme. Yeah. All right, wait, 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 because I I did not get to catch the game live. I saw the first 10 minutes and then had to go away for a bit. What were your, what were your just feelings watching that game? Hold what was your mood? Let me pull the Must Be Babe Twitter account because yeah, I like the whole Nathan game. Was pro- Nathan was probably I'll, just having fun making memes. I'll go Colin, first. how did yeah. you feel? <laughs> um, well, 
uh, I mean, I assume you watched the replay in. About, oh yeah, as soon as I got home, I fired it up and I watched the whole thing. About like, twenty seconds. I, no scores, no nothing. Yeah. I, I I literally watched it not as if I was watching it live. Yeah, about twenty seconds into the match, Diogo Dello nearly cost us. Fifteen. Uh, it was fifteen. I looked up from yeah. my phone and I said to somebody, I was like, "Oh, we almost conceded fifteen seconds in." <laughs> yeah, things looked pretty shaky from the start. Uh, there tough. was probably like a period in that first 10 to 15 minutes where United were like, had like semi convinced me that they were starting to settle in a little bit. Um, like 30 seconds after the Delote thing until like 12 minutes. I mean, yeah. what was it? The eighth minute we should have been up one nil. It definitely looked like it was either going to be a United opener or conceding on the counterattack. Um, and it wasn't really conceding on a counterattack. It was conceding on another, you know, misplaced midfield possession leading to a series of events that lead to a goal. Um, from then on, I was pretty much the bar is so low. Um, I wasn't really expecting too much more. I did think, though, towards the end, um, I would say probably like 75 minutes or so, that United felt like they were going to get another goal. And then when Donny van de Beek came on, Brighton had kind of a chance to reset, and that led to them just killing the game entirely. I don't think United got forward at all in the last 10 minutes or so. At they, least got not, shots. Not they got like four shots in the last like four minutes of the game. Not good ones. Yeah, well, they must not have been like high XG. Um, I was, I, I had a really bad feeling that it was just going to end 2-1 at one point, and that's, that's how it played out. Nathan, what what do you see from the Twitter uh, documents? Well, first of all, we uh, I tried uh, something I haven't done in a little bit since I took over the socials uh, off and on was did a Twitter poll to kind of gauge the interest from the fan base. And, you know, 55 percent of the poll said that we were going to get the dub. And by the 67th minute, I was quote tweeting it saying you're all fools. Um, the I mean. I think where the vibe, the down low thing was worrying. That was like the warning shot. Like, <laughs> you guys are in for a rough one. But I think what really signaled it was Bruno just skying that ball in the seventh minute when he had a ball in the probably the most one of the most dangerous places in the box that Bruno Fernandez could have the ball. And it just, it wasn't even close to being on frame. And it's like, all right, cool. How many times have we watched United? But that happens. Right. But like, so, he's a volume chance guy. Yes, but there's there's a lot of times too where you look well, at it and you're like chance, guys. <laughs> United starts to put together some good spells and then they kind of screw up that chance where it's like, all right, you probably should have scored there, and then the team other team marches down and then scores, and then we find ourselves uh, down. And since this isn't Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer managing the team anymore, we can't expect the second half comeback. Um, and then I mean Pascal Gross just eating our lunch for two goals. Uh, in a 10-minute stretch, uh, doesn't exactly feel great. Um, 45th minute, when they did the stoppage time indicator, I said uh, fourth officials indicated we'll have to endure two more minutes of this shit. Um, not a good sign. Didn't feel good tweeting that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I got I got off a lot of memes. The Charles Leclerc uh, radio where he starts screaming after the uh, he crashes Ferrari a couple weeks ago. That was funny. Um, probably our best engaged tweet was can't believe that with the limited time on this planet that we all have, we chose to come together every weekend to watch Scott McTominay run around like a baby giraffe and make square passes look difficult. Um, 
I mean, it's a great line. <laughs> and then, uh, I mean, the halftime uh, shot where I used a scene from the movie Rush. Uh, shout outs to uh, Doug from uh, the DC United uh, supporters group, also a Richmond Kickers fan. You know, getting to use that scene where he refers to the Ferrari as a shit box. And I mean, if that's not Manchester United, I don't know what is. Um, my favorite tweet, though, is one of the less interactive ones. It was definitely, uh, I just want us to earn one free kick near the box so Eric, Erickson can shoot before Ronaldo comes on and takes target practice on the spectators. And then funny enough, like I manifested an Erickson free kick, but Ronaldo had come on and I was freaking out because like, we're not even going to see one. But didn't Erickson, Erickson free take kick. it? Yeah, I think Erickson, Erickson ended up taking it, like he, and Ronaldo's he in the box. Into the box for nothing or something. Yeah, yeah, like that uh, that early chance. That early chance was not bad. Like Bruno missed it. Okay, whatever, because it was like four and a half minutes into the match, and it was like, oh, okay, good. You created that chance four and a half minutes into the match. All right, you missed it. We'll get another one. It was. It's like um, when Pogba missed that really good chance in like twenty five minutes against the Leeds. Leeds. Yeah. And, and at that point, we hadn't created anything. And it was like, damn, I can't believe we blew that. That's going to be a problem. And then we just went and blew the doors off them. You're like, if we created that four and a half minutes in, we should be fine. And then it was like 10, 11 minutes later when you went, oh, that's a big miss because not only have we not created another good chance, like we haven't created a bad chance. We haven't created anything. There was eight minutes into the eight minutes in, McTominay got the ball, looked up across the field, saw a wide open Luke Shaw and a wide open Marcus Rashford and like had this giddy smile on his face. Like I'm going to get the ball and I'm going to pass it over to them quickly and sent this ridiculously hard pass with no one in between them. And he put it and, and Luke Shaw and Marcus Rashford are like 20 yards apart and he put it perfectly in between them. Like it is so funny what was the one that it wasn't one of our tweets but i think i sent it to you guys where it was just like a frame of mctominay charging into brighton's area you know probably 40 yards and it was like all these and it's like this ended in scott mctominay getting a yellow card (laughs) that sequence was so funny because the ball comes into like Jaden sancho and brighton tackle it and break it up and the ball pops up and it lands with at Scott McTominay and Christian Erickson. And this, this hap like this is Christian Erickson's initiation to United because you see this with new players. Uh, I can tell you when Jaden Sancho did it last year and like it's early in the season and cause it doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't new like once you play a few games with United, you realize don't do this. It's not worth it. So this has happened because Christian Erickson is new. The ball is coming to, to Scott McTominay. And Christian Erickson looks up, sees sees that McTominay's going to get the ball, sees all this open space in front of him, and takes off and makes this run. And Sancho gets up, and he follows him. And you've got two guys both behind the Brighton man. The center back on the other side of the field is playing him onside, but he's nowhere near them. The fullback is nowhere near, is nowhere to be found. These two guys are wide open. And all McTominay has to do is just one time, first touch, chip that ball back in. It doesn't even have to go to one of them. It doesn't even have to be a good pass. All he has to do is just dink it over and one of them will get it in a great spot. And he doesn't do it. He just puts it down and starts to dribble. And like the reason he ends up getting a yellow card is because eventually is because once he's looking straight ahead, he only sees straight ahead and maybe to the left. And Marcus Rashford's on the left. Luke Shaw's on the left. They're both covered. He's got nothing there. And it's at like the last second 
that he sees Sancho and Erickson are, hey, whoa, these guys are making runs and they're wide open on the right side. But he can't hit that with his left foot. He doesn't have that. So, like, he then has to, like, contort his whole body to get around the ball to then bring it to his right. And, like, and once he contorts his body that way, he takes a bad touch and it's too heavy. And then he goes and gets a yellow card. And it's just so funny. Like, it's so it, it's so funny to watch the entire clip. But it's so bad because he doesn't it's, – it's probably like he doesn't even see them when they're making that run. And he's facing them like there, there would, it's not a, a lack of like lack of, of all uh, like you have to have 360 vision and, and that's difficult. It's like you're facing these guys and you can't even see them taking off. Christian Erickson, give him a, a by September is not going to be making that run anymore. The same way that every United player doesn't make a run when the ball comes to the top. <laughs> I mean, at this rate, he's probably not going to be the one in a position to make that run. He's going to be the one in deep making up for, you know, Scott McTominay being the other option. Well, he was, he was already deep. That was the thing is he was deep. And then he like sees in front of him and he takes off and makes, and makes the run. I'm like, but like the entire, within like the first 10 minutes of this match, or probably when I turned it back on, it was like, it only took me a few minutes to be like, yeah, this is, this is, uh, it's not going to go well. Well, you could see, I mean, just something you've talked about before, Polly, with ways that teams defend Scott McTominay. Pretty early on, he had a lot of space. Or they were just kind of like inviting him to make mistakes that they could take advantage of. They're just like, don't worry about him. There, there's a couple of things that like United used him weird, but when he got on the ball, Brighton were just like, cool, have it. We'll, like, we'll rely on you to do something dumb. Like, I don't know get a yellow card when you're dribbling. Um, and what's still just astonishing is that Scott McTominay has not gotten sent off in a game yet, considering he has like three fouls that should be yellow cards a game. And that one on that one up high, which I think a red card would have like, he got him very high up and in a normal situation that should be red. I think a red card would have been absurdly harsh on that because like, McTom- like McTominay was dribbling like he his boot did come in contact with the ball Saikato closed him down got the ball first and it's like what, what what's McTominay supposed to do in that situation when yeah. his foot the ball was there and Saikato wasn't there yet and it's just a matter of like Saikato comes in and closes him down that like it's it's just like I, on his follow-through where the ball was because he had possession of the ball. It's like it meets Saikato's shin that like in this day and age, you know, you think back to like Juan Bissaka last year, like it's a booking and, and it was, he got him really high. He got him really hard, but I don't think if you sent him off for that, I think that would have been absurd. Cause like, again, what's he supposed to do other than stop having such a poor touch. That's part of football now is you can't take heavy touches. Um, he needs to become an adult giraffe. <laughs> um just while we're kind of on this topic and so that we don't spend the entire time talking about Scott McTominay um I thought another interesting takeaway I kind of had from this game was Lissandro Martinez and his debut was I I think not great and he's definitely not going to remember it well and there was one moment where it looked like he might give away a penalty I didn't think it was um and we've got Howard Webb back on VAR, so. It's been really harsh. 
and it was, but like he did full on go in there and body check the guy, and that was his sole from, intention from behind. Yeah, <laughs> that was his sole intention. Yeah. Um, so it was like also like he went over there being like, I'm gonna knock this guy over. Yeah, but I think one thing about him and McGuire is that most of the mistakes they made were kind of circumstantial to mistakes that were made higher up the pitch and forced them to react quickly. And this is the first time that they've played football together. They haven't even really trained together more than what, two weeks. So I would give them a little bit of time. Same with, you know, them working with Dallow and Shaw or Molassia. If he comes in at left back, this kind of needs some time to gel. Maguire's also playing in a different position um, as a center back, more as like a right center back. And it seems like that's going to be the case since Martinez is left-footed. And that's always kind of been the plan, even under Solskjaer, to try and find a left-footed center back to play over there. I just, I worry that they're not going to get the patience, one, because fans, but two, because this midfield isn't really one that's going to buy them time. Yeah, so here's the thing. Like, yeah, I like Martinez. I didn't think it was bad. Uh, like, I yeah, I think that's a fair assessment that Colin gave that like he might not remember it fondly. But I didn't think it was that bad. He is playing left center back, and at United, that is a very difficult position. It's like McGuire's issues last year were more because he was the left center back, which is the center back that gets hung out to dry by United because of the way they play. Uh, like when, when McGuire wasn't there, Lindelof struggled there. Varane looked hopeless out there uh, at the end of the season. That Arsenal game, Varane was clueless. And it's because they're so weak on the right side. You have, um, for most of last season, they had a, for the first half of last season, they had a right back, a right wing who didn't never bother to track back. Um, you have a right midfielder who routinely gets dragged out of position and doesn't track his man and is just leaves you exposed constantly. You you've swapped from the defensive Juan Bissaka to the less defensive Diogo Dalo. So, and because your right wing and right midfielder are weak, suddenly your center back needs to, um, is going to get called upon a little bit more. Your left center back is, um, has to cover a little bit. So, and then that's how they get exposed. Um, and it's been happening for years. The, you're, you know, United used to use Dan James on the right wing to really bolster that right side so that the rest of the defense didn't have to shift that way. And that's Maguire was much more protected. And that's why they were so good defensively, especially in the big games. Cause Dan James would play in them and he would mm-hmm. do so much. Um, that's my the, son. the, the one thing I can tell you, will not be an issue with Lissandra Martinez is his height. Yeah, he, I mean, he wasn't scared of anything. And, uh, uh, you know, this is... He wasn't scared. He also, like, the ball was in the air. No, he won. And he yeah. headed it out. <laughs> and it was like, uh, yeah. That wasn't like, the problem. Uh, I will say, too, that they made the, a deal about. <laughs> yeah, the areas where they looked exposed on the goals, uh, De Gea also could have helped out. Uh, there's that clip that was going around where... That second one is tough. Yeah, I mean, he just doesn't... And we saw a lot of these goals last season, too, where the ball just comes across maybe a yard away from him. And he has some time to see it, so it's not like he's just not able to anticipate this. The thing, the thing is, like, if he comes off his line a bit in that situation, 
Look, and look, I think he should have. I think like he should have handled that cross. Like Dean Henderson, near post is very open, similar. Though, yeah, exactly. He leaves the near post open. And like the biggest critic, or what used to be the biggest criticism of De Gea was how often he gets beat at his near post. Um, that you, By Patrick Van Anholt. That could be something that was in the back of his mind of like, make sure you cover the near post. And because of that, he doesn't get the cross. And boom, it's, you know, it goes right back into the back of the net. Like, I was just watching that game. My wife kept every so often she'd walk in and she'd like watch. And I, I think she had known the score earlier and she was just like apologizing to me being like, I'm sorry, this isn't going well. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, <laughs> this is funny. I was like, no, this it's, is it's fascinating. It's fun. In the funny range, like this team stopped hurting me. I can't tell you the last time I was like upset and annoyed at a game because it was what, like September or October of last year. Where I went, no, this isn't a good team. They did some dumb things. They didn't bolster areas that need to be bolstered. They have not just players that aren't good enough, but players that are straight up bad playing in in important positions that they are allowing this to happen and it's going to hurt them and they are and it's going to keep costing them. And and it did. And it was like the only way to get through this season, besides alcohol, is you have to watch these games as a comedy. I'm like, it's funny at this point. It is funny how bad this can be because at because they deserve this. And then as as uh like they, they deserve this for just not addressing the issues that were plain to, for everyone to see. And then as Colin and I spoke last week, it was just like this team didn't get any better over the summer. Like they added Lissandra Martinez, who can add an element to them, but I don't think defensively he makes them that much better. Um, I think their defensive issues are not so much center back issues, but midfield issues. They added Christian Eriksen, who at best is a replacement for a player that they lost. They um, they added Terrell Malasia, who is a massive upgrade over the backup left back. If he if he ends up winning the starting job from Luke Shaw and he's better than Luke Sh- than all right, so you upgraded a little bit at left back, which was already one of your stronger positions. Like getting better in that position is not going to change the team. I was like, this team didn't get any better. And one, they're looking at it being like, all right, well, we're trying to get Frankie DeYoung, but if we don't get Frankie DeYoung, I guess we're just doing nothing. And two, like, there, are fr- there are fans that like deluded themselves into being like, well, no, like, uh, like you can't like losing Pogba is a benefit to this team and not, and swapping Ten Hag and, and with swapping Solskjaer with Ten Hag is a, is a benefit. And yes, I I will agree with that one. I think Eric Ten Hag is a much better manager than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But having said that, like one, that doesn't mean that doesn't make Solskjaer a bad manager. It just means Ten Hag is better. He did a good job for two years. Didn't do a good job last year. And two, it's like Eric Ten Hag can only do so much. Like people actually deluded themselves into being like, well, Every player is going to improve under Ten Hag. And it's like, mm, not if you don't upgrade the talent around them. Like, there's reasons that they, like, stop deluding yourself into being like, some of these players are good. And because they uh, they have pride, all of a sudden they're, they're better. It's like, no, like, certain players, if they're not playing up to it, are going to make their teammates worse, no matter how much pride they freaking have. So if you, all of a sudden... This- like because we beat three different Liverpool 11s simply because Liverpool had bad finishing, it was like everybody was ready to knock down doors. It was like, no, this team didn't get any better. And I'm like, and you deluded yourself that like 
it was funny watching this because it's like you get what you deserve. You didn't improve your team. So why do you expect to all of a sudden walk over a team that that demolished you for nothing? Not even three months ago. I, I like the image of Polly's wife when she knows that Polly's not going to be <laughs> watching the game. She's just like checking her phone. Like she's got alerts set up. So that way she knows like what the vibe she needs to bring. Yeah. She's like, all right, this one wasn't going to be good. Let me see how I can kind of like make Polly feel a little bit better. Make sure he's yeah. laughing, not crying. She's preparing those boxes in the office where it's like the good news, the bad news box. <laughs> it's and like wh- whiskey, bad news, champagne, good news. <laughs> yep. Like, no, like I'm not even in a bad mood. Like, this is funny. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it is funny, though, that people think that just Tenog comes in and like players are supposed to be transformed. Like, I don't I don't know where that narrative comes from. Like, yes, he can start to develop the younger players, but all the key starters for Manchester United who all pretty much took the field on Saturday are either in the primes of their careers or on the back end of the primes of their careers. You're not going to change them when 10 hogs had them for four and a half, five weeks. Like, yeah, you know, dog tricks is a very statement. (laughs) If you want to take take a look at like the other teams and if you want to say like, Oh, Pep Guardiola is this like incredible manager. uh, Also look at how often he gets to refresh his squad. Like, Pep Guardiola is an incredible tactician who's also not walking out with dog shit players. Like, he's got the best of the best. Or if they're not the best at their position in the world, they're at least the best at their position for Pep's system. And, like, Ten Hag doesn't have any of that. Also, like, how he's many playing people, with other people's toys. He's how still many playing with other people's toys. I've been playing for Pep Guardiola for years and years and years. Like, Pep Guardiola exactly. didn't walk – he didn't walk the league in his first year. He finished – where did they finish? Third? Yeah. And if you want to take a look at the other side of the pit, like third, and most players that Pep Guardiola signs sit on the bench for a good chunk of their first year because he's like, you're not ready to play in the system. Like you need to work. Yeah, you don't remember Jack Grealish last year, but guess what? He played. played, Jack Grealish played more than any of their other attacking signings in his first season. But half the season. Look at the other side of the touchline. I mean, Graham Potter has been in a situation because I saw a couple people go like, well, we could add Potter. Why do we get this bald fraud? Like that's already starting. And I think at the, after the first weekend, it's probably more of a meme than actually serious. But, you know, we talked about this with Carl a couple weeks ago about, you know, what is the social media landscape going to look like if things don't get off to a good start? And like, that's the first bit where people are going to like every manager that potentially could have been an option for United. If that person comes and beats United, you know, people are going to have this narrative and it's like, again, Potter's been at Brighton for a long time. And this is, he just walked out the squad that kicked our ass three months ago. Like, of course that team was going to be ready to play Manchester United, which by the way, had not refreshed. Like, um, I'm going to say uh, before we like dive more into this, cause I did assign this for part two in our organization or organized Google doc. Oh, I, I forgot we're doing itinerary. A um, I do want to say just before we get into that, though, uh, I look like an ass because in my match preview piece, I talked about how, you know, if Cucurella is gone by the weekend, the replacement in those wide areas is like Leandro Trossard, Pascal Gross, which is not as big a threat as Marco Cucur- Mark Cucurella. And then lo and behold, those two players just absolutely rip us apart. Yeah, because guess what? So, they were still going up against Diego Dello. Like, yeah. I look, think it's your fault, Colin. I think it's your fault. They read your piece and said, "Hold." Yeah, look. Here's, here's the thing. Here's I'm, the thing. Though. 
is like Manchester United, and this speaks to the recruitment strategy that they currently have. Manchester United would have never in a million, Graham Potter could never have become Manchester United's manager. Never in a million years because what's, what's become very, very obvious. Yeah. What's become very, very obvious is that this club is way too online and way too tapped in to what the, the Twitters and the YouTubers are saying. Like we know this because they're actually like giving some YouTubers seats at the table now. Like, so how do you get a seat at the table without the club recognizing you and, and, and figuring out who you are, but well, could the they at least sign some of the players Statman Dave suggests then? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> Maybe not um, him. Um, what should we call it? The the same people being like, oh, we could have gotten Graham Potter. If United, if United had hired Graham Potter, the immediate response would have been like, where are the stand? What has he won? You've hired a Brighton manager. What, like... United or United need resumes. That's what they need right now. Like we already get it with, um, and, and, and that's a ridiculous, it's ridiculous to even say that. Like we already get it with Harry Maguire has been relegated four times. Cool. Roy Keane was relegated the year before he signed for, for Manchester United. So that make him a bad player. Playing for a manager who won the European cup twice. (laughs) (laughs) Why did, why did, why did United sign Roy Keane? He was, he was relegated. Like you could be relegated and still be a good player. Uh, like, um, Jack Rio should have gotten relegated, and if he got relegated, he probably would be a United player now. But Andrew Robertson, yeah, let's not bring that up. Nonetheless, um, like the response would immediately be, "What the hell is Graham Potter won? Where are the sta- the standards of this club are in the are are just getting lower and lower? That now we're hiring Brighton managers. Like that's oh, we're gonna finish mid table with that, rather than being like maybe we're hiring this up and coming guy who should be at a bigger club than Brighton and he hasn't won anything because he's hamstrung by the fact that he's at Brighton. Um, and you can see it now with the players that they have. Like where are the where are the world where the uh, um where are the young guys that we could bring in? Instead, we're we're just being linked to every player that we had our eyes on three years ago. And it's almost as if like you find this 21 year old player who frankly, all of these guys, like it just seems like we're way too tapped into like, Oh, these are the guys that Twitter wants, which is a terrible way to run your club because Twitter's wrong. Most of the time, granted most transfers fail anyway, but it's almost like they look at these 21 year olds, like Yuri Tielemans, who was going to move to the premier league got that loan at Leicester and like waited to sign a new contract, waited to make that move temporary because he was hoping Manchester United would come in for him at a position that United needed. And they were like, nah, because as if they were like, well, you're just a Leicester player and you've done it for half a season. What's, what's your resume? Oh, now you have a resume. So now we'll go into, look at what well, we'll, we'll go after you or, all these players three years later were going after them. And it's like, well, now that you've let them build their resume, you missed out on their best years. And like, you're, you're going after them at the wrong time. Yeah. And it, it just speaks to like, they just seem so afraid. It's, they seem scarred by the Juan Bissaka deal, which was a great signing at the time. I'm like, yeah, they probably spent a little bit too much money on it, but like 50 million pounds for, a player, if he would have panned out, who could be your right back for the next 10 years, is not a bad signing. If you do it for, and 
let's not who, forget. Who, like, by the way, was, still could have panned out if they addressed the other needs in the squad potentially. Right. And and like sure, and like that's fine. Not every signing is going to work out, and not every twenty-one-year-old is going to develop. So like, yeah, fifty million is a lot. You weren't going to get him for much less because oh right, he was the highest rated English right back prospect out there. It was him and Alexander Arnold. He's and Alexander Arnold for Southgate. Was he's not moving anywhere. He was the hottest guy on the market at the time. Um, yeah. like if everybody was, people were literally like, as United when he got off to a good start at United, it was every it was it was a neutral people being like. Hold off on, and everybody was saying, like, what a find by Ali Gunnar Solskjaer. And every, the neutral crowd, and like, neutral writers were being like, we should hold off on giving Solskjaer credit here, because, like, all he did was sign literally the most, the hottest right back prospect in the country that everybody knew about. Like, everybody wanted this guy. Like, we, so yeah, it, he didn't work out now, but it just seems like the club is scarred from that. And instead, it's just like, oh, let's go to, getting guys with resumes more it's like okay but you get it you bring in a guy with a resume now he's gonna be like my resume dictates that my wages should be x um and you missed out on his should have gotten him three years ago where you'll get more value out of him and now you're you're getting him in a situation where three years from now it's gonna be like oh he's past his best days we spent a ton of money on this guy and now we need to spend a ton of money on replacing him and we only got three years out of him See, if Solskjaer like, really wanted to be a genius. It's like signing 28-year-old Nemanja Matic, where it's like, hey, guess what? Three years later, uh-uh. you need to sign. <laughs> if Solskjaer... Three wanted, examples is enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Solskjaer did have the hottest um, fullback prospect that nobody was talking about. He just needed to send Dan James to the back line, but he didn't. And this is why we're in the situation we're in now. Um, so... I, one, I think it's kind of funny. I was like, let me stop this here so that we can transition into part two. And then Polly was like, oh, I'm ready for part two. I'm going <laughs> to right into part two. Segways. Yeah. Um, so hinting at, uh, you know, the players with supposedly with resumes that uh, we're going after this week, obviously um, a lot was made of transfer speculation made after the Brighton match, which, um, you know, was really well reported across multiple outlets. So assuming that most of this is believed to be true, Marco Arnautovic was linked um, as a sort of cheap backup striker option. And almost immediately, a lot of people were calling out the club for obviously the racism incident at the UEFA Euros last year. And it appears to have worked uh, because they're no longer in on Marco Arnautovic, which is a good thing because, um, you know, we've already got quite a few character problems going or going around with uh, current and former Manchester United players. Not but, listening to us about Rabio, though. Yeah. The other one that <laughs> caught our attention, um, really uh, other two, uh, Adrian Rabio and Sergei Milinkovic-Savic. Uh, two players who have been linked with Manchester United basically every summer since, what, 2017? I even wrote an article about Rabiot a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, when he was leaving PSG, either, I think it was 2018, 2019, was when there were a lot of rumors as well. And um, both 27, they'll be 28 by the end of the season. 
both been playing in Serie A, um, just not really. Well, the, I guess the thing we'll talk about most is Rabio because Milinkovic Savage right now is considered as an alternative to Frankie De Jong, which is its own. Milinkovic Savage, I don't even know if he's a real player. He's just a guy that we link to every year. Like I saw him. The play idea the of Sergey Milinkovic Savage sounds awesome, though. Yeah. Um, the the idea of Adrian Rabio, on the other hand. You know, if I wanted a French midfielder from Juventus, I'd ask us to re-sign Paul Pogba. But um, maybe if we up our offer to like a hundred million this time, they'll give us Pogba. Yeah. This sucks, man. We're in hell. <laughs> yeah. But hey, right, don't the, worry. The, We're gonna drop the, the third jersey this week, so we are officially Arsenal now. That third kit sucks. Dude, I, we have to drop a third kit because we can't wear red or white on. Saturday. So yeah, it, I mean, so we're, gonna wear, we're gonna wear yellow highlighter jerseys. Yo, is that the same yellow as Michigan? Like that's gotta hurt extra. Don't, don't. Yo, Colin, are we wearing maize <laughs> against Brentford? Done. I'm gonna become a Hibs fan. We're changing. We're changing the blog to follow Hibernian. Colin's like, you know what? I'm finally done. Leeds United States of America, baby. No. They're looking at Kai Kai, Kai Wagner at um, Philadelphia Union now. So like. I don't know, dude. Is that anyway? Is that Burhalter's Bayern Munich? Like when we win twenty twenty six, it's because we had all the players on Leeds playing together already. Wouldn't Jesse Marsh have to be the manager of the U.S. then? I don't hate it, unless Burhalter can just be like a Didier Deschamps and let the U.S. team vibe their way to a World Cup win. I mean, if I start seeing Burhalter picking his nose, I'm calling it twenty twenty six. We're winning that thing. Anyway, Polly, what were you going to say about Adrian Rabio? Uh, the best description that I got of him was it was like take all the things that they said about Paul Pogba, wait, a lot of which wasn't true, a lot of it was exaggerated, and like but like it's true with Rabio. Like Rabio brings all that baggage and none of the on-field stuff. His numbers compare to McTominay. And it's like, that's not what you need right now. You don't need another numbers player. numbers are worse than McTominay. <laughs> are, are you saying we're bringing in French D'Angelo Williams right now? Or D'Angelo Russell, excuse me. Basically. Um, and uh, he's got a whole issue with, like, his entourage, his mother. All, like, he brings so much baggage for and no very high wages. Very high wages at 27 years old. It's... It's so ridiculous. Um, like, yeah. The one thing that he has going for him is, like, he's 27 years old. He's already won 24 trophies. Um, and at Not 27, because, of, because of him, though. <laughs> at 27 years old, Cristiano Ronaldo had only won 10 trophies. So, like, Adrian Rabiot is a born winner. And he's a born winner. Metal he does. Mentality. He wins, and that's the kind of mentality that this team needs. <laughs> and lacking. can can bring to the dressing room. He knows how to. He's known how to win his entire career, and a lot of players on this team can learn from that. The the thing that's killing me is uh, Casey Evans's tweet where he's like, "United are going to pay this money to Juventus to get Rabio, and then Juventus is going to take that money and immediately get Paredes from PSG." And it's like, why don't we just get Paredes instead? Yeah. 
I think I don't it's think funny. we should get Paredes. I don't think we should get Paredes. But what's ridiculous is that um, Juventus are going to lose Rabio or trying to lose Rabio, and and to and they're bringing in two players to replace him. Two. It's like they're they're rebuilding their midfield, so it's like, oh, let's get rid of Rabio and bring in two players. And United, who literally only had four midfielders last season and needed more, are like, nah, we lost two, and like. Let's bring in one and maybe another one. Yeah. Hey guys, we got Christian Eriksen. You remember him from three years ago? He's back. No, this is that this is that tweet I sent while we were playing Atletico Madrid after Juan Mata and Nemanja Matic came on. It's like Manchester United is trying to win the 2015 UEFA Champions League. Yeah. We got Cristiano Ronaldo, what Nemanja Matic, Juan Mata, Christian Eriksen. I guess Sergei Milinkovic Savage wasn't really known by them, but yeah, Adrian Rabio. This is this is not like what's our scouting department doing? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like, what, 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 what is your job, or is the scouting department doing well? And like, there's just some still kind of ego thing that has to happen where it's like, well, no, my son plays FIFA, and I've heard of that guy, so I'd rather sign him. I, I honestly just don't think we have much of a scouting department right now. Which is incredibly concerning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were two... I, I think, well, remember like, remember a couple of people left yeah, earlier that's... this year? And I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure that, like, at, when, when we went to COVID, just that, like, United went and bought, them, and bought them laptops so that they could work from home. And these guys were like, oh, you fired us? Like, we're not giving back the laptops. And, like, by the way, we didn't store anything on the cloud. We saved everything to the hard drive. And, like, United are now, like, walking into their back into their cubicle to their rows of cubicles and figuring out all these computers that were not touched since 2019. They're like, turning them on and being like, well, what, what files does this have? I don't think that's wrong. They're, they're <laughs> booting up FIFA 18 or FIFA 17, whatever one I said earlier. Oh, Malinkovic Savage. Get like Malinkovic Savage for the seventh year in a row. Statman Dave tweeted out yesterday. He was like, he has the second most uh, progressive passes received. In, who's gonna, in Europe, who's going to progress the ball to him, though? <laughs> we don't need that. <laughs> wait, wait. We want to already find a replacement for Donnie Vandebank. Like, <laughs> we don't need that. Oh, we don't need progressive passes received because we need we have guys that can receive them. We need people to make them. Yeah, and that's why we receive passes because you're pushed because you're higher up the pitch. We need people deeper. On the pitch, and and like he was he was talking about it like this is a positive and like we should be going after this guy, and it's like it doesn't address the problem. And and I I tweet and people are jumping into my mentions and they're like he's an immediate upgrade on McTominay and it's like yes that is true. We but, but like <laughs> where's that bar? <laughs> you can you can upgrade on McTominay with someone way cheaper and way younger. Like you should not spend 27 mil, uh, not 27. You should not be spending 60 million euro on a 27 year old who doesn't solve problems simply because he's an upgrade on a terrible player. Like because then you're just going to be like, well, we have a better player than McTominay, but also he's not playing the best that he can play because uh, we're not we're either not using him to his strengths. We're still or, putting him next to Fred, so... Or we don't have anybody who can get him the ball. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to say this, because uh, we need to move on to Brentford. But um, 
because I have to go uh, soon-ish. <sighs> Shit, I forgot what I was going to say. Maybe we should just move on to Bradford. <laughs> if, uh, if FIFA 17 is our scouting department, when we sign Marco Royce, oh, that's going to be my 13th reason why. Okay, so that, that's good. <laughs> the thing with Sergei Malinkovich-Savage is, like, like you said, Polly, yeah, it's an upgrade for now. But this kind of feels like a move where we make it and it's kind of like a we couldn't get Frankie, so we'll get this guy who's okay and can play in midfield. But, you know, three years from now when we need another midfielder, this seems like one of the signings where the Glazers are going to be like, we bought you a midfielder. Or even like next season where it's like, hey, I still I would still like to get somebody who can do these things for me and can check these, you know, XXX. They'll be like, we bought you Sergei Milinkovic-Savage already. You know, find it someone seems, else. It seems like that they – because, like, let's be – so once – when the Glazers came in – United had a lot of – the Glazers came in. We obviously know the whole trouble with that. And then there were debt issues. But, like, the way that they structured it and, and everything was basically – when Sir Alex Ferguson retired – they also had a lot fewer payments to make and they were able to open up the checkbook. And like, if you look at their spending, it does shoot up in 2013. And so since Ferguson retired, they have signed Fellaini. He's a central midfielder. Then they went and signed Ander Herrera in central midfield. Then they went and signed Daily Blind in central midfield. A lot, uh, Daily Blind. Then they went and signed uh, Morgan Schneiderlin. And then they went and signed Bastian Schweinsteiger. And then they signed Paul Pogba. And then they signed... Nemanja Matic, and then they signed Fred. That's like eight eight midfielders bought in like the span of like six years, and eventually they probably did go. We just bought you a ton of midfielders, the, and and I guess they went on strike, and they are just not buying midfielders anymore. But like they also just there was like, hey, uh, how about another thirty three year old striker? And there's no mention of like we bought you a thirty three year old striker last year because they've done that about five times in the last five years. Uh, hey, how about another center back? Hey, how about another left back? Like somehow all those positions keep getting bought year after year after year. And yet we can't buy a midfielder. And every manager keeps saying like, well, no, we're looking for the right midfielder. And it's like, it's weird how you refuse to sign anyone because they're not the perfect, correct midfielder. And so instead of signing anyone, you're just like, we're just going to go with what we have, even though those aren't the right midfielders either. (laughs) It it goes back to the resume thing as well. It's just like you're not going to bring in someone to fix everything by themselves. All right. Um, Nathan. Yeah, I mean, one last thing. You know, right before we started recording, uh, DeMarzio came out and said that uh, Rabio's transferred a Manchester United's block because there's not currently an agreement between United and the player. So yeah, uh, sounds sounds like he really wants a lot of money. So that's that's good. That's good for us because we're um, gonna pay. Yeah, I mean there's there's room on the weight bill now. Um, all right, Brentford. What? What? Can we win this game? Is this is yeah. this a is this the three points we can we can potentially get playing the way that we did last weekend? Or, well, or does Ten Hag just yeah. does Ten Hag just straight up go Christian Eriksen? You're gonna have to play deep. Yeah, he's gonna do that. Um, without a doubt, he. Uh, he. I'm sorry, I just read a report that like Nottingham Forest are trying to sign James Gardner. 
permanently. It's like, oh, we're willing yes. to let him go. They also uh, want Husseva, which is fun. I mean, Grant, if, if it, it's like if they, if they want to sign him for thirty million, then take the money. But like, if you're selling him less than that, actually, no, more than thirty million. Because for thirty million, you should have him. If if he's worth thirty million, then he should be playing for you. Um, but anyway, everyone keeps being like, oh yeah, that game, the game changed um, in the second half when like they dropped Erickson deep and Ronaldo came on, and yeah, they did. They looked a lot better, but also because Brighton just sat back in there. Like there were times where Brighton were just hoofing it out of the box and not even bothering to chase it. And it was like, yeah, let United come at us. And then as Colin said, like Donnie Van de Beek came on and it, it looked like a switch flicked on for Brighton when they were just like, instead of trying to hang on to this win, we can go and kill this game off. And when they just, and like when they started playing again in the last 10 minutes, it was like United didn't really have an answer for that. But a hundred percent chance Erickson is dropped deeper for this match to, to do something in midfield. Um, Ronaldo's probably going to start. I'd put that at 95% chance. And, and can they win? Sure. Like the thing, the thing is that like, it's hard to gauge the Brentford matches from last year because they played in January and Brentford played United off the park in the first half. And just came away with nothing to show for it. And it just had that feel of like, even like once United kind of got a foot in the match, it was like, even though they haven't, they've been the worst team and like Brentford have been really good and deserve all three points. It's like United are good enough that if they start to click for five minutes, you're going to regret this. And that's exactly what happened. And then in May, Brentford showed up to Old Trafford. What? Like sec third to last game of the season. And like, they had zero interest in playing that game. They didn't even try. And United, in the midst of a terrible run of form, trounced them. So, obviously, it's the second game of the season. I would expect Brentford, uh, I believe it's their first home game, I would expect them to come out and be playing a bit more. So there is that potential for Brentford to play them off the park again. Mm-hmm. There is that potential for that to happen and Brentford to not cash in on that. Uh, so, yeah, like it's certainly a game that I think... I think there's there's 20 teams in the league, so United play 19 other teams, and in every single one of those 19 games this year, there is reason to be like, yeah, United may not win this game. But certainly this one is one they can win. Nathan? Um, my head keeps going back to Brentford's home opener last year against Arsenal and how nutty that place got. Uh, I, I think that team's going to be ready to go. Uh, and it makes me nervous. I What I think is interesting, something that I brought up when we were talking with Carl, something I brought up in other podcasts, the, you know, the hair on the back of my neck raised up a little bit when United announced Martinez as both a defender and a central midfielder. And sure as shit, you've got Rio Ferdinand today doing his predicted 11, and he's got Baran coming in, and then Martinez moving up to the sixth. Um with Erickson Fernandez playing a double pivot ahead of Martinez. So, um, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know what to think of this anymore. I'm just sitting here praying for Marcial's uh, hamstring to get better sooner than later, but it, we're going to always run into the same problem. If we get dominated in midfield, I don't feel good about that game. You know, so one of the, one of the bigger tasks that Eric Ten Hag's going to have to do is figure out what to do with Bruno Fernandez because Bruno Fernandez is not an eight. 
and he cannot play in a three-man midfield. It's He's not good. He doesn't keep possession and control the way you want. I mean, he can actually, he can do that, but it's such a neutered version of Bruno Fernandez that like, he, it's just not good. He doesn't create chances. And then everybody goes, Oh, he's terrible. And what's he doing? Um, well, that, that would be the biggest problem is everything that Fernandez has done as a United player so far too. It, it's hard to ask him to do that because then you're muting all the things that people remember that Bruno does. And then you run into the same problem that you have with Pogba because people saw what he did for Juventus. And then he comes here and he doesn't do those things. And it's like, well, why is he not doing those things? Right. It, it, Bruno Fernandez is number 10. And like he needs to play up the pitch behind the striker where the striker where he can make runs off the striker. And even when and like the games where he plays as the number 10 and like it doesn't go well for United, it's because he's dropping into midfield and like because they can't get the ball up to him. And now he's becoming the third <laughs> man. And he's in giving, a, a, giving the ball away in bad areas too. Yeah. giving the ball away in bad areas or he's pushing the ball up the pitch to a three-man, to a front three that lacks the Bruno Fernandez creator up there, um, which is why you need the. So if you want to play for it, like, you either, if you're going to play at the double pivot, then you have to play Bruno Fernandez as a 10, and you need someone in that pivot, preferably two guys, because teams know how to shut down United when they only have one guy that could pass. But you need someone in that pivot that can pass the ball forward and get it up the pitch to so that Bruno and Sancho can go to work. Yeah. And if you want to play a 4-3-3, if you want to play the three-man midfield, you have guys that could do it. Christian Eriksen could do it. Donny Van de Bay can be in there. You either have to drop Bruno Fernandes or put him on the wing because he needs to be up high and he can't – And he, he, you could play him like the way that Van Gaal played a 4-3-3 with Mata as the right wing. Like you don't need wide, pacey wingers. You could play other variations of it or you could drop him. It, it, Eric Tenog has to figure out what to do with him because he is one of United's best players. But if like, if you're going to do that, then put him in his natural position or put him in a better position than being like, we're going to put you in a three-man midfield, especially if it's going to be like Christian Eriksen and Bruno Fernandez in front of Lissandro Martinez. Like, good luck with that. That's not going to work. Thanks, Rio. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I decided... You know, pretty early last season, I wasn't going to listen to Rio Ferdinand's thoughts on the Manchester United team. Um, all right. I think that's going to do it for us. We'll be back next week, um, hopefully with a better match to recap and uh, likely with some Frankie de Jong news, whether it's good or bad, because it seems like Barcelona need to make that decision by Saturday before they lose two of their signings. So, uh, yeah. We'll Should we sign Cassie? I mean, hey, why not? <laughs> we'll see you next time.